Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Politics without the soap opera. With unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen yearning to fight for freedom once again to the CR Podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house, ready to fight for freedom anew. You know, Thomas Jefferson once said, when governments fear the people, there is liberty. When the people fear the government, there is tyranny. And it's that simple. That is the choice we are confronted with today. Are we going to continue to be passive and live in fear of the Pfizer Merck government where they control every bit of our life up into and including our own body, even reproductive, uh, you know, they talk about reproductive rights with the right to kill a baby. What about the right to have a baby unmolested by a clot shot and the right to breathe freely? Or are we going to force the governments to fear the people on a federal level in places like where i live in maryland blue states there is quite literally nothing the left could do to lose power it's impossible but are there a few states where we could finally push back and this is something we're going to be developing here brand new week here it's october 4th and we're going to try to develop some i would say Action items, things that we can do, try to finally, I know I'm a few months behind, but to create our red state strike force teams, we have a few of them. We actually do have Alabama uh, up and going. There's some good legislation that we're trying to push there to expose employers that force the clot shots on their workers to liability. So I need you to join the fight. This is not just about entertainment or information, but you are going to get tons of information today. It is actually about what we can do about it. So I'm just going to give kind of a state of play where things stand. What do we know epidemiologically now? Where do things stand with the clot shots, the the lack of efficacy, the side effects, the more information comes out? What does work? We're going to try to get to as much as we can. As always, it's very hard to catch up from a full weekend. Um, Our sponsor today, a special, special news sponsor, Paint Your Life. What if you could just snap a photo? Everyone has a million photos on their iPhone these days, but then they don't do anything with it. You know what I mean? It's not like the old days where you treasured the photos and you had photo albums. Here, it's so easy, but then we have so much but so little. What... Paint Your Life does for you is they take that photo and they'll give you a professional hand-painted portrait out of it. It's a very cool idea. You could choose from a team of world-class artists and work with them until every detail is perfect the way you like it. You'll get it in as little as two weeks, and if you don't like it, this is a key thing. If you're just like, hey, I don't like it, guess what? Um, they, They stand behind the product it is truly amazing. Um, it's something that, you know, I, I said before, a lot of parents and grandparents, you know, they've given to you your whole life. What could you give back to them? They always love having pictures of the family. I know my parents are like that, especially with all these grandparents wrongly locked down for a year and a half and atrophying instead of being given a prophylactic treatment. There's a lot to talk about that, by the way. It's it makes a terrific gift for them, but really for a wife, a husband, anyone, wedding anniversary, uh, a birthday gift. So here it is. If you go to paintyourlife.com, you'll find no risk. If you love the final painting, um, if you don't love it, your your money is refunded, guaranteed. Um, but what you got to do is text the word review, as in conservative review, R-E-V-I-E-W, to 64,000. That's review to 64,000. Um, and you could put in your order, let them know what you want, celebrate the moments that matter most, 
Terms apply available at paintyourlife.com forward slash terms. So I want to start off with the UK data, Public Health of England. So isn't it funny how when we don't have data, okay, when we have in, in America, disjointed state by state, oh, this hospital, 110% of the people are unvaccinated, yada, yada. But then when you have verifiable data, it always paints a different picture. Why does it happen to be that the one country with the most granular uniform data seems to paint a picture that the vaccine is making it worse? England, if you go to Public Health of England, you could find they have up-to-date data. Every Thursday, they publish new data of which variant is circulating, How many vaccinated? How many unvaccinated? How many got one? How many two within two weeks? They break it all down. And then what you can do is you could start plotting a trend from their weekly reports and you could start seeing the changes. So a friend of mine, Don Walt, he put together a chart based on the UK data. He put together about five weeks worth of it to show you not just where things stand from this week, Okay, but where things stand in terms of the trend line. And it's plain data straight there that the, un, that the vaccinated people have more cases per capita. Okay, not just, oh, absolute terms, but then you 80% of the people are vaccinated, so of course they have more cases. No, per capita in every age group over 30 Now, under 30, what does that tell you? Because they got vaccinated the most recently, so it has a little bit of effect. And indeed, you actually see he plotted within even the people in their, you know, teens and 20s. It turns out that the more recent, you know, the you got vaccinated, the the fewer cases there are and, and so on. So what this demonstrates is that it has maybe a few months of efficacy and then it leaks and it wanes and then eventually... Clearly, as predicted by Gert Vandenbosch, there is some degree of antibody disease-dependent enhancement, ADE, where it then becomes worse. That is ironclad data. If you go to the cohort of people in their 60s, the infection rate is 63% higher among the vaccinated than the unvaccinated. And even that is up from last week where it was 53% higher. It keeps getting worse and worse. This is ironclad. So before we even get to anything else, even if you believe you have no human rights anymore and a government could force upon you anything, you have no bodily autonomy, they could vitiate your individual liberty in the most personal fashion. But there is now no rational basis for requiring this shot when not only did they spread it and get it just as much, they likely spread it more. This is the UK's data. And in America, we're seeing that disjointedly, but it's BS data. The UK has uniform, weekly, granular national data comparing apples to apples, very divided. And and also the thing is, I've mentioned this many times. The people the most vulnerable to get COVID of anyone are those that recently got a booster, recently got the original shot. Everyone agrees to that, which is why in America, they smartly but deviously count people within one shot, two shots within 14 days of the second shot as unvaccinated, and then they dump that liability on the unvaccinated when really that's a liability of the vaccination. The UK divides that out separately as a separate cohort. In fact, they have several. They have one shot within two weeks of the second shot. Okay, whatever you think of them, their policies, they have great data. Everyone agrees to that. And it paints a very clear picture. Nobody could look us in the eye and say they expected that. Again, Pfizer and CDC, 
Back in December, they said very clearly that the Pfizer vaccine is 95% effective in preventing symptomatic COVID. Not serious or hospitalization, but any symptomatic. Now it is worse wherever you have high vaccination rates. It is worse than it has ever been. Think about that. Worse than it's ever been. We've been warned about that. That when you have a leaky vaccine, not only doesn't it work, they're like, oh, no, no, nothing to talk about. Oh, no, it it helps against hospitalization. Whoa, that is a very different statement and assertion than they made to begin with, number one. Number two, it's no longer true because the hospitalizations are gradually becoming proportionate to their share of of the, the vaccinated share of the population. And number three, we have a rich amount of academic data and information dating back to the first failed SARS uh, coronavirus vaccine in, in 2005 that the problem with these vaccines is that it's a double edged sword. Once it leaks, it makes it worse. And that is what we're seeing. That is what we're seeing. So I want to go through all of this today. But unlike all these other phony conservative talk show hosts that put politics above human rights and the Constitution and real science, we actually skate to where the puck is going, not to where it's been. I warned you about this with the leaky chicken vaccine, and it's playing out, unfortunately, on schedule, exactly as I predicted. Now, speaking of having a 2020 vision, I might have 2020 vision politically, but I have pretty bad eyesight. That's why I go to Rodenstock. They are the number one authentic um, eyewear company in the world. 144-year-old German company, over 500 patents. Their GoSpecs lenses use advanced algorithms for more than a million patients measuring 7,000 points in the eye. The result, more energy, no neck strain, and the ability to see 40% better. My wife and I love our Rodenstock GoSpecs lenses. If you want a pair for yourself, go to betterspectacles.com conservative. The good news is they could schedule teleoptical appointments so you don't have to go in and wear the stupid mask. Um, they're offering my audience an introductory 61% off their Ghost Specs lenses plus free handcrafted Rodenstock frames. Just visit betterspectacles.com slash conservative and never throw away a junky pair of eyewear ever again. So, you know, you go through the data and it's unbelievable. Israel. There is a July study out of a Meir hospital outside of Tel Aviv. Alex Berenson put out a a memo on this, did a great job distilling this study. It's published in Eurosurveillance, the European Medicine Society um, Agency. And that's the journal published by the European CDC, okay? So this is pretty prestigious. Basically, they had this dialysis patient, you know, for kidney failure. He came in with a fever and a cough. And he remained there forever, and his condition worsened until they finally figured out it was COVID. Now, by the way, this is part of the problem. They believe their own stupid lies that COVID, that that the vaccines work. And they're like, this was in mid-July. And by the way, this is important because Israel in mid-July is right around where we are now. Because we're a little bit behind in the vaccination curve. So this is what's happening here. What happened was it spread and infected three fellow patients. The PCR threshold was 13.6, meaning a very high viral load. And I want you to keep that in mind as we go through today's show. Okay? Um, so, where is this? Basically, what happened was they had 248 people exposed. 238 of them were vaccinated. 96% vaccination rate of this study group, 96%, patients, um, staff, and visitors, okay? 
We would think this would be a great result. And by the way, all of the staff, all the patients and, and people visiting have to wear a surgical mask, all the staff wear an N95 and a face shield. What's the result? 39 people got COVID. That's a 16% rate. 39 out of the vaccinated people. Of those infected, 23 were patients, 19 were staff. The staff did all recover quickly. They're probably younger. But five patients died, and another nine had severe critical cases. All of them were vaccinated. And in fact, the two unvaccinated infected patients happened to both have mild cases. Okay? We are starting to see the signs of ADE now. Again, what are the steps? It works for a few months, then it leaks transmission. And during that period of time, it first crushes the people who didn't get the vaccine because it produces a higher viral load. But they still have that prophylactic um, protection. Then it starts leaking even its protection against serious illness until it's completely done. And then you have antibody disease dependent, uh, antibody dependent disease enhancement, which is when the antibodies you get from the vaccine turn into a Trojan horse and they get qualitatively sicker. We are starting to see that. And we're going to be on the lookout for that. It is shocking how nobody is asking questions. I don't know where we are headed to, to next because this is uncharted uncharted ter territory. We've never done this in the history of humanity. The thing I hope for is that the Merrick's disease chicken vaccine dynamic, it actually did work long-term against serious illness for the chickens that had it. So that perpetually hosed the unvaccinated. My hope is this leaks so much there's no gas in the tank anymore, so it kind of just leaks and then stops harming the unvaccinated. But then I know your next question is going to be, well, aren't the boosters going to start that up again? And that's, that's the concern. On the other hand, it could be the virus has changed so much that the boosters are worthless. Who knows? And that would actually be better than creating ADE. But this is where we are now. It is impossible to overlook the observations that it has made it worse. Do you know that if you compare in the United States, August 2020 to August 2021, okay? August 2020, nobody was vaccinated and much fewer people even had natural immunity because that was before the winter when a lot of people got it. This is... Um, a friend of mine pulled the data. This is directly from CDC Wonder. So I know, especially with younger people, I know a lot of you are going to say, well, isn't there a 25, 30% inflation where the deaths are with COVID, not because of COVID? That's true, but we're comparing apples to apples. Whatever that is, we're comparing last year and this year. There's no reason to believe it's worse this year in terms of the inflation of the numbers. 15 to 24-year-olds who died of COVID last August 71. This August, 247, more than three times as many. 25 to 34-year-olds last year, last August it was 230. This year, 1114, okay? Almost a five-fold increase. 35 to 44-year-olds, last year, 642. This year, 2,655. There is no way to explain that without the vaccine having created antibody disease-dependent enhancement. There's no way. We also looked at all-cause mortality. All-cause mortality is much higher this year than last year. It makes no sense. That's not 0% efficacy, folks. That is negative. 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 Because if it just didn't work, it would naturally be better than last year just because there's more built-up immunity and you wouldn't have as many people getting it. And again, that likely suggests more people are dying from the virus because of the viral enhancement created by the vaccine 
as well as more people are dying from all of the, you know, clot shot problems that we're having. The country of Wales, within the UK, 92% of adults are vaccinated. They have a worse spread than they've ever had. Okay? Australia, worse spread than they ever had. You look at the UK, England, the Public Health of England data, 63% of all COVID deaths over the past 7.5 months. So that includes when it was working earlier on. 63% of the deaths were among the vaccinated. Yes, I get it that the deaths are mainly older people. Among the older, they have 80-90% vaccination rate. So there's a degree of efficacy. But dude, 63%, this is not like, oh, a rare example. That's an, oh, it protects you against hospitalization. No, it doesn't. It has a small degree of protection, and that wears off. And also, it created a monster that now is immune from the thing. So even if you get a booster at a high risk, it's no longer going to help you. And folks, this is why they are now pushing, if you look in their language, they are now pushing Merck and Pfizer's Miracle Therapeutics. They're coming to where we came. Their idolatry of lockdowns failed. Their idolatry of masks failed. And their idolatry of the clot shots failed. But at the same time, they're going to push it like a robber caught robbing you. He's not going to run away. He's going to fight with you. He'll get vicious like a cornered snake. Just like we needed the shots because the mask failed, but then they're requiring the mask with the shots. They'll now push both the shots. Scott Gottlieb, he is the public whore for Big Pharma, Obama's former EPA, uh, uh, FDA administrator. He's all over cable news. He is on the board of directors of Pfizer. No one cares about that conflict of interest, of course. And he said over the weekend, quote, Once we start vaccinating our children, and once we have an antiviral in hand, I think society and psychology around the disease will change. Notice he added in an anti. Why do you need it? I thought the vaccine is working. Pfizer tweeted out and Twitter is promoting it as a paid promoted tweet. Therapeutic interventions that stop SARS-CoV-2 replication are needed. We are investigating potential ways to fight against COVID. They talk about their drug in phase two, phase three of their trial. What, what do you mean it's needed? I thought this works so much. It's so unassailable that we have to violate the Nuremberg Code to destroy people's lives and mandate it on them. And yet, at the same time, these SOBs are saying it doesn't work because indeed it doesn't work. But somehow we're supposed to trust the same people who lied about lockdowns, lied about masks, lied about the clot shots, lied about remdesivir, lied about the lack of other safe and effective alternatives. Somehow, Mulpirvenir, whatever you call that Merck drug and the unnamed Pfizer one, oh, it's not going to have side effects either. Yeah, right. We'll talk about that a little bit later this week. Man, am I pissed. But these are the two questions nobody asked. Number one, if the vaccine is leaking this much on transmission to the point where it's on par and now exceeds the transmission of the unvaccinated, why is there no concern that it is also the culprit of making the virus more virulent? And number two, if it leaks this much on transmission, who is to say that any degree of efficacy against serious illness, which is already winning, won't diminish completely? Think about those two questions as we have a word from our next sponsor, Alliance Defending Freedom. We really have no representation in the courts anymore with our family freedom, basic biology, individual liberty under assault. ADF needs your support now more than ever. Go to adflegal.org slash CR to get a copy of their ebook titled Generational Wins with your tax deductible donation. It's absolutely free. Um, you'll discover why fighting for what's right, right is important to save our country. 
Um, unlike the left-wing legal defense groups, they don't have deep pockets. They rely on the generosity of patriots like you. Donate today to go to adflegal.org slash CR, adflegal.org slash CR. Now, I'm losing my voice here because I was just talking on the phone all <clears throat> weekend and screaming my head off, but what are we going to do? I want to just go back to explain a little bit about this leaky vaccine syndrome. Leaky vaccine syndrome. The 2015 study on leaky vaccines on Merrick's disease. If you want to look it up, it's Andrew F. Reed of Penn State is the lead author. There's a bunch of British authors too. Imperfect vaccination can enhance the transmission of highly virulent pathogens. And I'm just going to read to you a sample of it. The imperfect vaccine hypothesis attracted controversy, not least because human vaccines have apparently not caused an increase in the virulence of their target pathogens. But most human vaccines are sterilizing, meaning they, they, um, keep, they lock in the pathogen. It doesn't allow it to spread. The impact of vaccination on transmission requires experimental infections in the national natural host, clearly impossible for human disease. That was until recently. We test a key prediction of the imperfect vaccine hypothesis that vaccination will elevate the fitness of highly virulent strains above that of less virulent strains. When vaccines leak, allowing at least some pathogen transmission, they could create the ecological conditions that would allow hot strains to emerge and persist. Here we report experiments with Merrick's disease virus in poultry that show that modern commercial leaky vaccines can have precisely this effect. They allow the onward transmission of strains otherwise too lethal to persist. Thus, the use of leaky vaccines can facilitate the evolution of pathogen strains that put unvaccinated hosts at greater risk of severe disease. I believe this is what broke out in July in the South, right around when the Israeli study showed that Pfizer leaks. My hope is that it's getting better because that was like the perfect leakiness. Now it's just not even leaking. It just doesn't work. Maybe. I'm not sure about that. But I am sure about the first part. We lost a man named Caleb Wallace. He was going to be my West Texas Minuteman. 30-year-old, three kids, pregnant wife. He got crushed by this. And the media danced on his grave in forever. You Google his name and, oh, the guy that never wore a mask and spoke at rallies. And, you know, Daniel's activist here um, <clears throat> never got a vaccine. But it makes no sense because, like, a healthy, strong 30-year-old, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with him. It, it wasn't happening before that. If you say a 75-year-old, like, yeah, you should have gotten vaccinated or whatever. I knew there was more to the story. And I started seeing people in their 30s get very sick. And it's truly, truly unbelievable. Truly unbelievable. But this is proven. Absolutely proven. And by the way, I will tell you. I will tell you. This was warned about in a 2003 study. Analysis paper. Okay, experimental observation when they were dabbling with SARS vaccines from the first SARS. They presciently advised application of a SARS vaccine is perhaps best limited to a minimal number of targeted individuals who can be monitored as some vaccinated persons might, if infected by SARS coronavirus, become asymptomatic excreters of virus, thereby posing a risk to non-vaccinated people. The exact opposite of what they said. A non-vaccinated person, by definition, could never be a threat to a vaccinated person. Because if the vaccine works, it works. It's the other way around. By creating this phenomenon where it could run up the viral load on that person, but he'll be protected and crushed our people. Now what we're seeing is it's just leaking completely. Even AP has an article out today um, to that effect, where is this? AP, virus surge hits New England despite high vaccination rates. And they're talking about how um, vaccination rates are very high 
70% in Vermont, 61.5 in New Hampshire. And again, those numbers are misleading because there's a lot of kids that don't have it because they can't get it yet. But among adults, it's, it's really high. And among older adults, it's almost universal. But they have higher vaccination rates. And the main hospitals are crushed. There is no way you could look me in the eye and tell me that the vaccine has nothing to do with that. It shouldn't be worse. Okay, even if they're right that, oh man, you got to get vaccinated. But we, no one was vaccinated last year and it's worse than ever and we have so many more people with built up immunity and there's no evidence of people with prior infection having to go to the hospital with serious reinfection. In fact, the only rare cases we are seeing of reinfection are people that got the shot after infection because it, it depletes their T-cell immunity. And that's a whole other thing we're going to be monitoring. I'm sure many of you have heard a Harvard researcher from their, like, demography department published a study just over the weekend in, again, the European Journal of Epidemiology that's put out by the European CDC. They examined... 3,000 counties in the United States and 68 countries globally for their vaccination rates juxtaposed to their COVID case rates. Okay? Very easy to do. If this is as great as they say, you should see an unmistakable R-squared on a scatter diagram correlation. Okay, maybe it's not going to be perfect, but you should definitely see a correlation. They conclude at the country level, there appears to be no discernible relationship between percentage of population fully vaccinated and new COVID cases in the last seven days. And in fact, and in fact, the trend line suggests a marginally positive association such that countries with higher percentage of population fully vaccinated have higher COVID cases per 1 million people. This is a Harvard researcher, European Journal of Epidemiology. They obviously note how Israel has over 60% of their population fully vaccinated. Um, most adults had the highest COVID case per 1 million people in the last seven days. And um, they found that in Iceland and Portugal, they have over 75% fully vaccinated and have more COVID per cases per million people than countries such as Vietnam and South Africa that have around 10% fully vaccinated. Of the top five United States counties that have the highest percentage of population fully vaccinated, CDC identifies four of them as high transmission Chattahoochee County, Georgia, McKinley County, New Mexico, Arcebo, Puerto Rico. They have above 90% vaccination rates. They're classified as high transmission. Conversely, of the 57 counties that have been classified as low transmission counties by the CDC, 26.3% of them have a population fully vaccinated below 20%. So that's what happens. Initially, it starts to, it has a little bit of efficacy after a terrible degree of side effects and the long-term things, cancer, God knows what, with autoimmune diseases, the infertility, and then it leaks. And once it leaks, eventually it hits the vaccinated, certainly more often and then probably eventually qualitatively worse. It is undeniable at this point undeniable it's also important to keep in mind <clears throat> that it, the data is even worse than the study suggests because they what they did is they followed the guidance of basically trying to count people within 14 days of their second vaccine in the unvaccinated status so they they used the sensitivity analysis 
of a one-month lag on the percentage population fully vaccinated so that people wouldn't be considered fully vaccinated until 14 days afterwards. As we all well know, that is the time when they're either the most likely to get it or the spike itself gave the pathogen to them within those 14 days. And that that needs to be blamed from a public policy standpoint on the mass vaccination, right? But it's not. So it's even worse than that, which is why they found zero positive correlation with the vaccine and actually a negative, but they said it was kind of weak. It's like a little bit more inverse, you know, that the more you're vaccinated, the more cases you have. But if you would factor in that factor, it, you, it would be much stronger, the, the reverse correlation. They conclude the sole reliance on vaccination as a primary strategy to mitigate COVID-19 and its adverse consequences needs to be reexamined, especially considering the Delta variant and the likelihood of future variants. Um, now, the study did not factor in, like, the different types of vaccines. So it just, it just looked at the places. It didn't try to drill down who had Moderna, who had Pfizer. That's a little bit cumbersome to really try to do that. Um, but we know that Pfizer leaks uh, quicker. But by now, Moderna is leaking as well. Um, I don't have a good, um, you know, read on J&J. How in the world could this stand up in court? And the answer is because the courts are corrupt as hell. They are corrupt as hell. And folks, that's on the efficacy side. What about on the side effect side? Peter, Peter McCullough and Dr. Rose came out with a preprinted study posted at Science Direct. Within eight weeks of public offering of COVID-19 products to 12 to 15-year-old age group, we found 19 times the expected number of myocarditis cases in the vaccinated volunteers over the background myocarditis rates for that age group. The European Medicines Agency, okay, they just found a link between J&J &J COVID vaccine and blood clotting in deep veins. Deep, um, <clears throat> deep vein thrombo thrombosis is awful. The, you know, Israeli study already back in July found the link between Pfizer and TTP, right? The thrombotic, thrombies, uh, thrombitopenic purpura, whatever that is, the blood disorder. Um, it's an autoimmune disease. Again, we knew this from the animal studies with autoimmune diseases. There's a Dutch study out on hepatitis C. The reactive, quote, the reactivation of hepatitis C virus after vaccination with the Pfizer BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine suggests a need for critical consideration of individuals with prior HCV infection and considered for COVID-19 vaccination, that it could reinfect people that had hepatitis C. Again, this all is painting a picture that it rejuvenates autoimmune diseases, and, and Ryan Cole could talk forever about that. Scotland. There's a study out from Scotland. Mystery. They say mystery 25% rise in heart attacks from blocked arteries. Non-ST elevation myocarditis in infarctions, infarctions, where there's less tissue damage but an equal risk of death have increased over the summer. Typically, the center, which is the largest of its kind in the UK and treats people from five health board areas, receives 240 patients a month suffering from this form of heart attack, but it rose to more than 300 over May, June, and July this year. May, June, and July. Think about the timing of that. Um, <clears throat> there is no evidence, they say, that this is a consequence of delayed care or missed opportunity. And of course, they don't mention what it is evidence of, but we all know. Similarly, the UK, our friends at the Daily Skeptic, they looked at all-cause deaths. Deaths among teenagers are up 56% since the vaccine rollout began. Between weeks 23 and 37 of this year, there have been 252 of those deaths. 
252 of those deaths among 15 to 9 year olds in England and Wales. This time last year, same time period, you take weeks 23 to weeks 37. Okay? Again, you're talking about that same period of time. Okay, that May, June, July period that <clears throat> the UK media is just a mystery heart attack. It was 162. That's an increase of 56%. Importantly, there is no similar rise among younger children age 1 to 14. Okay? There is no similar rise. Meaning if there was another factor, it would be across the, the, the board. If it's myocarditis, we know myocarditis starts with the teens and early 20s, mainly males, that are getting affected. But by the way, the pericarditis, okay, which is the outside lining of the heart muscle, that is more older people as well. COVID cannot be the blame for the sudden rise in deaths among 15 to 19-year-olds in the summer because there were only nine deaths, and, and most of those were with COVID, not because of COVID, in that entire age group in the UK. So what is the cause? What is the cause? Inquiring minds would like to know. But of course, you get censored. I'm sure a lot of you heard about this woman, 37-year-old mother, died of this deep vein thrombosis from the vaccine a few days after getting it, didn't have a single issue in her life, didn't, didn't have a medical issue. There was a obituary, and it wasn't like a polemic against the vaccine. It was about her life. It's just the opening line, she died, you know, just like, very matter-of-factly, just like you would say, died of a stroke, died of this, died of... Deep vein thrombosis from the vaccine. Done. And then talked about her life. The obituary was censored by Twitter. See, if there's nothing to see here, if it's a rare thing, if it's so rare, why are you scared to debate that? Okay, you know, stuff happens even with safe medications. Why are they so scared for the truth to come out? And that is because their gutter ideology cannot withstand any bit of scrutiny. It cannot withstand any bit of scrutiny. Two weeks ago in Israel, there were 2.5 more deaths per 100,000 triple vaccinated people above the age of 60 than deaths among unvaccinated under 60. Think about it. Two and a half times more deaths among triple vaccinated people over 60 than unvaccinated under 60. Those were the people for which we needed the shot, and it's failing them. Think about that. What is the truth behind that? So anyway, we covered the safety side. We covered the efficacy side of the vaccines. I, of course, as always, didn't leave enough time for the third leg. Just want to go over the latest on what works and doesn't work with the therapeutics. Um, we've had a lot of good doctors on. We'll continue to do shows like that as well. I'm probably going to need it because I just killed my voice this week from just yelling and talking so much uh, over the weekend. But, um, you know, there's an article out I just wanted to flag for you from trial site blood thinner drugs reduce COVID-19 hospitalization and mortality based on University of Minnesota study so you know and, th and this was sponsored by um what is this sponsored by the NIH really so this is actually sponsored by the NIH it's funny even the studies that they sponsor they still will not will not promote the results if, if they don't fit the narrative. So things like blood thinners, you know, um, or, you know, even aspirin, they don't exactly talk about what it is, but it was led by University of Minnesota collaborators at Mayo Clinic and University of Basel in Switzerland. 
They had COVID patients between March 4th and August 27th of 2020. 12 hospitals, 60 clinics in the U.S. It's M-Health Fairview system. And they wanted to study the linkage between 90-day anticoagulation therapy among outpatients before COVID-19 diagnosis and the risk of hospitalization mortality and B, inpatient anticoagulation therapy and mortality risk. So in other words, the first thing was outpatient. Like these are people that anyway were on blood thinners for a myriad of other reasons. And basically they found, this is published in the Lancet, they found that those patients on anticoagulants prior to SARS-CoV-2 infection were hospitalized less frequently, even if they were older and struggled with chronic, chronic uh, conditions. And also these blood thinner drugs lessen the mortality rate by almost half, regardless if they are used before or after SARS-CoV-2 infection. And patients in the hospital will benefit from anticoagulants. So the simple point that I tell everyone that tell me I got COVID, I said, look, before I get you a doctor and a pharmacy, things that we can help, take aspirin. Because that look, aspirin's not gonna that alone is certainly not gonna help with the pulmonary inflammation having a lot of problems. But ultimately what winds up killing people, at least the the death, okay, is the blood clotting. That and that was known so early on pulmonary embolism especially, and it is such a treatable thing early on, anticoagulants, okay? Now, again, you, you need the other stuff because that alone is not going to deal with a cytokine storm, which really is going to mess you up. But a good percentage of those who ultimately die in the cytokine storm, it's the pulmonary embolism when the blood clotting mixes in. So at least foreclose on that. To this day, just like they won't give the advice on vitamin D or the iodine nasal irrigation, they will not take people. In fact, the doctor will tell you to take Tylenol, which, by the way, is stupid because I'm hearing that it interferes with the mechanism of action of NAC, which you want to be taking. Unbelievable. Blood thinners. It's an amazing, amazing study. You know... I was dealing with Dr. Henson and Dr. Cole at, over the weekend. Someone in this audience, or at least knew someone else, was in the hospital. Their SATs were in the lower 90s. Okay? Not bad. Now, you got to really bomb away with treatment so it doesn't get worse. But that's not a critically ill person in most cases. They tried to give the guy remdesivir. This was, um, I'm forgetting where it was in Central California. Uh, they wanted to give the guy... Remdesivir, he refused. So as a punishment, they threatened to put him on a ventilator. And I was like, I heard these stories and I said, there's no way they could be true. There's no way that they're really doing this to people. They're putting them on ventilators with their sats still in the 90s. So they were trying to evacuate him and get him out. And you you get a guy with their sats still in the 90s in front of Henson and Cole, that's a nut, they'll, they'll treat that easily. You know, Henson has turned people around with their sats in their 70s walking into his clinic. So that's what does work. But we're supposed to believe now that their new therapeutics are amazing. Again, always go back to research before an issue became political. Viruses weren't political until 2020. Drugs, I mean, a certain degree of politics, but not this type of politics. May 19, May 9th, 2017, an article, NPR, National Palestinian Radio, okay? Of all sources, NPR. One-third of new drugs had safety problems after FDA review. And they basically talk about researchers at Yale School of Medicine found that nearly a third of drugs approved from 2001 to 2010 that were expedited had major safety issues in the ensuing years. 71 of the 222 drugs were withdrawn or require a black box warning. Okay. Okay? There's a reason why it takes time. So all these miracle drugs that they're expediting, and, and like we noted, one of the ones they're using, Olumiant, indeed has a black box warning for 
none other than blood clots. It is truly disgusting. So again, I, I don't have time to get to calls of action. We're going to do that later this week, but at least you have, you are armed with the information that you need to fight back against their entire narrative. It's all falling apart. I just want to end with a brief word. Speaking of action items, my action item today is more about prayer. It's hard for me to concentrate. Um, right before I aired this show, I got the terrible news that my dear friend Casey DeSantis, the first lady of Florida, Ron DeSantis' wife, was diagnosed with breast cancer. I don't know any other details. Um, you know, hopefully it was caught early. Um, she's just a terrific, terrific woman. Um, a lot of people don't realize, I've known this in politics for a long time, that the best conservatives, the only ones that are actually, and conservative is a meaningless term, it's really the ones that are just in it for altruistic reasons and they just care. They have good wives. I've always seen that. And um, if you want to know why Ron DeSantis is head and shoulders above everyone else, that's why. Um, she's just such a thoughtful person. She cares. And I'm just crushed, crushed by the news, a dear friend. And, you know, I just ask everyone pray for her speedy recovery. Um, and, you know, hopefully we could, you know, she can get the best care available. And, you know, it's, it's just tough because God has given Ron a mission to be our governor for all of the nation, our only voice to fight back. And they have three young kids. Her youngest is around the age of my youngest. They were born within the same week. Uh, Mamie is about 18 months old. And, you know, they're not like the Marie Antoinette families of the elite political establishment where they have, like, endless pockets. I don't think they have family there in Tallahassee. Um, I know neither of their parents are there. Uh, I don't think they have any other relatives. It's not like they have, you know, you think, oh, he's the governor. Yeah, he has everything at his disposal, the governor of the third largest state in America. But you know what? I mean, it's not easy with, with uh, you know, him as governor, and they have three very young kids. They're all very young. Um, the oldest can't be more than like six or seven or something. So we certainly have Casey and Ron in our prayers and may God heal her as quickly as possible. And with that, may God heal all of the people that are suffering from the vaccine, suffering from the virus with maltreatment. May God open up those tunnels of light and kindness and compassion. Switch back on the humanity of people. And then we can end this overnight. Send this show to every one of your friends and relatives. Thank you so much for listening, and God bless you all.